At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we believe theological education should be confessional. Because of our desire to identify with what Christ has done in His Church throughout the centuries, we fully adhere to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This standard keeps us accountable and preserves us from novelty. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. I bring you greetings from First Baptist Church of Clinton, Louisiana. It is an honor to be with here with you this evening. I'm very grateful for this church. We pray for you, thankful for your pastors, your leadership. What a blessing it is to have a church rooted and grounded in the truth, on a sound confession of faith, the whole counsel of God, and that that would be worked out in the lives of God's people. Well, tonight, what I wanted to do was to bring you a message from a precious and familiar passage, the 23rd Psalm, which is about our good God who guides us and he communes with us. As a guide, our God tells us where to go and he protects us from our enemies. He directs us. He provides nourishment for our souls. And if God were only a good guide that would be enough, or we would have reason to thank him and rejoice in him. But our God is not only a guide, this psalm teaches that he is also a host who welcomes us into his household and who feasts with us. He communes with us. He shelters us from his and our enemies, and we dwell with him there in his own house forever and ever. If you're not already there, please turn with me in your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm. In the first part of the Psalm, God is the good shepherd. In the second part of the Psalm, he is a gracious host who communes with us. So since the Psalm has already been read, why don't we just begin with a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for your love to us, that you've given us your word, that we might know you, that you've given us your son who came into this world and dwelt among us, who is the great shepherd of the sheep, who died for our sins and rose from the dead and whose blood washes us and reconciles us to a holy God, that we might know him and commune with him forever. Lord, we pray that you would illumine our minds to your good word this evening and that you would be glorified in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, if you will, please look with me again at verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Notice the personal emphasis of those words. The Lord is my shepherd. This is the only place where it puts it that way. Many other texts say things like, the Lord is our shepherd or the Lord is the shepherd of Israel, but only Psalm 23 puts it so personally, individually, 
that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the guide, the guard, the protector of our souls personally. And even though this psalm is personal, though, we can already detect hints here of corporate allusions to the nation of Israel. That after God delivered Israel out of Egypt, he shepherded her through the wilderness. And do you remember the Old Testament says that the angel of the Lord, the manifest presence of God himself, shepherded Israel through the wilderness. He fed her with manna from heaven. He gave her water from the rock and he led her into the promised land, the land of green pastures and rich food. These images of green pastures also call to mind the Garden of Eden, don't they? Where God dwelt with his people before the fall. And this psalm makes us think of our sojourn as the church in the wilderness. Here we are between having been delivered out of sin and heaven. And in this wilderness, there are dark things. There's terrible evil around us, threats of every kind. And yet God gives us food and water and protection, and he shepherds us all the way to heaven. And when we get to heaven, God will feed his church on the tree of life, and our cup will overflow with the river of life, and we will be in God's presence forever. And so we can see allusions to the church as well in this psalm, but this psalm is primarily about the individual's personal communion relationship to God. The Lord is my shepherd. That first line has the most important words of the psalm. Everything depends on these words. The word Lord refers to the divine name. It is God's personal name. He is Yahweh. Yahweh is God. I am is God, not Baal. Baal is not God. Ashtoreth is not God. Yahweh is God. And Yahweh means I am. It's a Hebrew. uh, It's taking the Hebrew word I am and turning it into a name. That God is, is not I was. God is not I will be. He is the great I am, which means he's independent of creation. His nature is the very ground of all that he has made. And since he didn't come into being, he can't go out of being. He is self-sufficient, self-existent. He is in and of himself. He has life in himself. He is the first cause. He is in himself truth, goodness, and beauty. And he rules all of creation according to his perfect sovereignty. And this God, the great I am, is my shepherd. In the Old Testament, a shepherd is a symbol of kingship. In fact, Israel's kings were called shepherds. A shepherd became a symbol of royalty. But it's interesting that in the ancient world, shepherds had a very lowly job. In fact, they had the lowliest job of all. When families had sheep, it was the youngest member of the family, the youngest boy, who was the shepherd. And you can Remember this when you think of David's household or Jesse's household, where David was the youngest and he shepherded sheep. He hadn't reached seniority. And so shepherding was his job. It was a very difficult job. 
and it required constant service, constant watchfulness. Shepherds had to stay with their flocks all day and all night and through every season of the year without any breaks at all. Their job was to feed and to guide and to protect the sheep, no matter what the personal cost. Notice the connection between God's being, who is self-sufficient, self-existent, and shepherding. God's being is the all-sufficient source of life and provision, which means he is by nature a servant. What can he take that he doesn't have? He doesn't need you. He can only give from himself. He can all, all that exists and has being, has being because God is preserving it in existence. And so with his sheep, who is God by nature? He is servant. He is a shepherd who has something to give, able to supply the needs of others to sustain them. And how does God sustain his sheep? Through wisdom, strength, and love, and power. That is his nature. The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh, the I am, is my shepherd. When we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus is the good shepherd. That Christ, the eternal word of the Father, according to his divine nature, is Yahweh. And he claims it for himself in John 10, 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And that, in the Greek, that's the emphatic, I, I am, ego, me. It's one of the I am statements. Jesus is identifying himself with Yahweh and this psalm. I am the good shepherd. Hebrews 13, 20, Jesus says he is the great shepherd of the sheep. In 1 Peter 2, 25, it says that Jesus is the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In 1 Peter 5, 4, he is the chief shepherd. In Revelation 7, 17, he is the lamb at the center of the throne who will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus was attacked for calling tax collectors and sinners to himself in Luke 15, verses four to seven, he says this, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after his sheep. In John 10, Jesus teaches about how he's the good shepherd. It says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice 
and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. You know how this worked in Christ's day is there were there were pens of sheep and shepherds would lead their sheep into these great pens and there would be all different kinds of sheep from different shepherds all mixed together in this one pen. But when the shepherd of the sheep came and called out his sheep, they would hear his voice and only that shepherd's sheep would follow him. And this is how Christ effectually calls his people to himself. He's the good shepherd. And then verse 11 of John 10, Jesus explicitly links himself again to Psalm 23. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So here we see another way in which Christ is the good shepherd. He doesn't flee like a hireling. Someone who's hired to take care of the sheep was going to preserve his own life. Jesus didn't. Instead, when danger came, he took the curse upon himself and he died for his sheep. And so he is the good shepherd. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And then the next phrase, I shall not want. Which means I shall lack nothing. I will have no needs. Now that's interesting because sheep have a lot of needs. Sheep are the, the neediest of all kinds of livestock, actually. When sheep are left to themselves, they're completely helpless. They need a good shepherd to tend them. And because the Lord is our shepherd, we don't have, as Christ's sheep, any real needs. He supplies every real need we have. Then the rest, the next few verses here in the psalm go, go on to describe the way that he supplies our needs, different ways. So what does it mean that I shall not want? What are the things that we will not lack? Well, the first need he satisfies is our need for rest. And you see it there in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You need rest as a sheep. Philip Keller famously wrote a book titled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Keller was a shepherd himself. Uh, For eight years, he was also a pastor of a church. And he wrote this book, and it offers a number of insights into Psalm 23. But he points out this, why does this say, he makes me lie down in green pastures? Like, why does a sheep have to be made to lie down in green pastures? And it's because sheep do not lie down easily. They're fearful, nervous, jumpy creatures. They won't lie down if the other sheep are in conflict with them. So if the sheep are biting at each other and bleeding at each other, they will not lie down if if the sheep are not getting along. They're too nervous. The sheep will not lie down if they have flies all over them and parasites and sickness and they're uncomfortable. They won't lie down. And they also will not lie down if they're hungry. And so a good shepherd 
has to free his sheep of these anxieties so that they can feel calm enough to lie down and rest. And so what does a good shepherd have to do? A good shepherd has to make peace between the sheep. He is a peacemaker. And is that not what our Lord Jesus did when he died on the cross? To reconcile us to to the one true God and make peace with God, also to make peace between the brethren. Strive for peace with all and the holiness without which none will see the Lord. He died to make peace between us. A good shepherd also has to, to feed them. Is that not what our Lord Jesus does? So that we'll lie down. He feeds us with what? Himself, his own flesh, his own blood offered on the cross, given to us by the Spirit through his word. And when sheep feel calm because these problems are taken away, they will lie down. Only then will the sheep lie down. And isn't it interesting that this psalm about a shepherd begins with lying down. What do you think of when you think of a shepherd? Maybe the shepherd out in front of the sheep with the staff leading them forward or driving behind them. Well, shepherds certainly lead and we will see that. But the first thing this good shepherd does is he leads the sheep. He actually makes the sheep rest. He frees them of anxiety so that they feel free to rest. Isn't that what Jesus does? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May I ask you, are you weary and heavy laden tonight? Do you feel the guilt of your sins? Maybe that you committed even today on the Lord's day. Maybe thoughts that went through your mind. It shouldn't go through anyone's mind, but maybe they went through your mind on the Lord's day. Words that you spoke. Maybe you think about this past week, the way you treated a spouse or a child in the home or a friend. And you think, my soul is weary. I labor. How could I be a Christian? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us ultimate rest because he died on the cross for wretched sinners, purging our guilt, leaving the guilt of our sins in the grave. He takes our burdens on himself. Will you trust him? This is what come to me means. We have to trust the good shepherd to lie down in a resting place of green pastures and still waters. Green pastures have abundant food. The Lord Jesus is our food. Still waters here in the text refers not to stagnant waters. If you think, what is still waters? It's not just waters that are not moving that are, you know, stagnant and maybe infested with something. It's not that at all. Instead, it's, it's the opposite of rushing waters that are scary, Rushing, raging waters are waters that a sheep will not lie down next to and won't drink from. But a good shepherd knows how to find good, fresh, clean 
water that's still, that the sheep can drink from. And Christ himself is the water of life, is he not? He says, I have come, come to give you water, that if you drink of it, it will become in you like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus himself is the still waters. This is what God is like. God is inherently restful, is he not, to the believer? Why? He is in and of himself love and peace. And is he not the same yesterday, today, and forever, constant and unchanging, the one true God whom we can trust completely? And so there we see how the good shepherd satisfies our need for rest. But the good shepherd does something else because we're looking at how does he supply our wants so that we have no lack? Well, he gives you rest. What's another way that he supplies your needs? Well, he restores my soul. That's in verse 3. Now, the, the word translated soul is actually a Hebrew word that could be translated life. He writes my life or he restores my life. Philip Keller, again, helps us with a shepherd's perspective. He says that sheep can get themselves into a situation where their very lives are threatened. Listen to what he says, and imagine this. A heavy, fat, or long-legged, fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out and relax. And then suddenly the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. So you get the picture. It's like so big. It's just rolling over and its feet aren't touching the ground anymore. They're starting to go up into the air. And then Keller says frequently, It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically, and this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now it's quite impossible for it to regain its feet. So it rolls over and it turns over and it's it's pawing up in the air. It's on its back because the thing's rolled over. And it says this, Keller says this happens not infrequently. And then what happens is that poisonous gases start to build up in the body of the sheep. It's very dangerous. And the sheep will actually begin to die in just a few hours unless it can be restored by the shepherd. Its life has to be saved. Isn't it true that God's own sheep, maybe you, can get themselves into those kinds of situations? That Christians can become unhealthy They begin drifting from the Lord or they become, as the book of Hebrews says, dull of hearing. Where you hear the word of God preached and taught, you hear the promises of Christ over and over again. And you hear the calls to faith and repentance and you become dull of hearing. And you don't listen. And maybe you take your eyes off of Jesus and you start looking to the things the world looks to. Even true Christians can become calloused to the word and start to lose the experience, the inward experience of life itself. They backslide 
There's an inward corruption that begins to grow, and they, they put themselves in great danger. But Jesus, the great shepherd, restores the life of his sheep. How? Well, he seeks us in darkness. He pursues us through his word. He brings us back to himself. We'll see he uses gently, lovingly, firmly the rod of discipline to bring us back to himself. He uses his people. Remember how Peter drifted from the Lord? Peter was a sheep who had rolled on his back, denied Christ three times. Jesus looked at him. Peter wept, and Jesus restored him. The next morning, or after the resurrection, on the beach, and fed him, cooked him breakfast. This is our Lord who restores the life of his sheep. And so there we see God's provision of life for his sheep. God's sheep will not lack life. So God's sheep don't lack rest. They don't lack life, but there's something else that they will not lack. They will not lack his leadership in paths of righteousness. That's verse three. They will not lack, God's sheep will not lack his loving commandments. He gives direction to his sheep. That's what verse three says in the second part. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, sheep need to be guided because they are not intelligent. Sheep are creatures of habit who get stuck in routines that are not helpful to them. If a shepherd leads the sheep by green pastures and still waters, the sheep will still tend to go back to the pastures that have become barren because they were eaten over already and there's no good food left there, but the sheep will be in the green pasture next to the still waters and wander back to the old way without the leadership of the shepherd. But Christ, the one true God, leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Don't God's people tend to to act like sheep do? Do they wander back to the old way? Maybe you've done that. Maybe you have, and I trust you have, tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have fed from his hand. You have eaten of his green pastures and drunk of the still waters. And yet, because of your sinful nature, because of your past, because of the temptations of Satan, the world, your own flesh, you tend to drift back to sinful patterns because it's what worked in the past. Maybe it's how you dealt with certain problems or difficulties in the past, and you start diverting back to the old way. Well, Christ gives his people commandments in the moral law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, expounded in the Old Covenant, placed into our hearts in the New Covenant, and also all the positive laws of the New Covenant. These are his commands, which we must be reminded of frequently because we are so prone to forget. This is why we need to be in the Word of God, 
Morning and evening, I would recommend. Spurgeon has a devotion, morning and evening. Psalm 1 talks about meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. The godly men of Scripture prayed daily. This is why we come and assemble on the Lord's Day. It's why you're here on the Lord's Day evening, isn't it? So you can hear the Word of God because you need the Word of God and I need the Word of God week in and week out over and over again to be reminded of his good commandments because we can't remember them like we, we should. Because we are not intelligent creatures and it's not really a matter of intelligence, it is that we are sinful and wicked. We need to be told over and over again because of who we are, but Christ is merciful to do it, isn't he? Paul says to repeat the same thing to you is no trouble for me and it is safe for you. Then verse three tells us that God guides us by his commandments for his name's sake. This is so important to understand. Why does he lead me in paths of righteousness? Well, for his name's sake. In the highest sense, God does not give us his commandments to get us to do something. Now, we are supposed to do something. He doesn't give us his commandments and expect us to do nothing, but that's not the highest reason that he gives us his commandments or leads us in them. His ultimate goal in leading us in paths of righteousness is his name's sake. That is for his great glory. What would you think of a shepherd who didn't know how to take care of his sheep or lead them? He doesn't know how to guide them. You'd probably think he was an incompetent shepherd. Here's a shepherd whose sheep are starving and disease-ridden. They don't know where to go. That would be the sign of an incompetent shepherd. But God is infinitely wise and loving and good. He is the I am, the all-sufficient fountain of wisdom and life. And so the highest reason God gives his sheep commandments is to put his own goodness and wisdom on display. If we disobey our shepherd's commandments, the foolish result is on us. But if we follow in his righteous commandments, we will benefit and our God will get the credit because he is the all-sufficient shepherd who knows exactly how to lead his sheep. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and he gets all the glory for being a good shepherd. And so God's sheep do not lack his leadership in paths of righteousness, but there's something else God's sheep don't lack. Verse four, they don't lack security. They do not lack security. Verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This teaches us how the good shepherd protects his sheep in moments of danger. What is the valley of the shadow of death? It's not death itself in this psalm. It is instead... This is again from Keller, the shepherd. He, he says he believes that it's, it's talking about that shepherds have to take their sheep from lowlands through a valley to the highlands seasonally. 
So they have to go up to the highlands for the summer. And the path through the valley is full of nourishment and food, and, and there's, there's a good reason to go through the valley. And yet the valley has shadows. There are rocks in there, and there are creatures that can hide in the shadows. A wolf, a snake. There are things that can kill the sheep in that valley. Valleys are also prone to flooding. There can be dangerous storms. But notice that God is the one who guides the sheep into the valley. Many many Christians, they think that if they're in a valley, that God's upset with them. They did something wrong. But God guides the sheep into into the valley. He brings us there. It's part of his plan. We have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not experiencing something strange. If we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we're experiencing the leadership of our shepherd. This is the way we go. But there is a special problem, according to the text, for the sheep in the valley. And that problem is fear, which Brother Sam preached about this morning. Fear. Sheep are tempted to become fearful and anxious when they're going through the valley. And their anxieties tempt them to become startled and run away from the shepherd. To take their eyes off the shepherd. There's a dangerous predator. I'm running. I'm not staying behind the shepherd anymore. There's there's a snake right there. I'm going my own way. And they become fearful. What's the answer, though, to the problem of fear in the valley, according to the text? Well, it says, for you are with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What, What is the evil for us? Really, the evil is Satan, the world, and the flesh. That's the true evil. There are other things that seem like evil that aren't as much. But the the greatest evil is Satan, the world, and the flesh, the temptations, the things that come upon us, the effects of the curse in this world. But we have to stay with the shepherd. He is with us. He's right there in front of us, guiding us through the valley. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. You have a giving, big-hearted, giving father. And he's a king who will sovereignly execute his decree to get the kingdom to you. He promises it. You can trust him. And the rod and the staff comfort us, this says. The shepherd's rod and staff comfort us. The rod and the staff are the shepherd's instrument of discipline, rescue and protection. The rod could be used to keep a sheep from going into a dangerous place. It could be used to break the head of a serpent or hit the back of a wolf. The staff had a shepherd's crook, which could be used to gently prod the sheep and to encourage them to keep walking. Sometimes the sheep don't like that. Sometimes you might hear something from the Bible that's true or a necess- something necessarily contained in the word that you don't want to hear, but you need to. 
That's the prodding of the shepherd. He loves you. That's why he's telling you. It can also be used, the crook, to pull back a sheep from an area of danger. The Lord does these things for his people because he loves us. And that is how Jesus protects and cares for his sheep. He is always with us as we go through the valley. We have to trust him while we're there. What will fear tempt us to do? To trust ourselves. You know, if you're, you're in the valley of the shadow of death and there's something terrifying, you will likely be tempted through fear to revert to trusting your own mind, your own intellect. I'm going to figure this out. Or your own goodness. I'm going to be so good. I'm going to get through this thing because I'm going to be better than I've ever been before. Or you're just strength. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm getting through this. But the message of this psalm is you are not going to get through this. You have to trust Jesus. He's going to get you through it. You trust him. You follow him. What, What that means practically is hear his word and bow to it. Even if it doesn't seem reasonable in the moment, even if it seems like, well, I need to do something else, do what he says. Trust him and his promises. Commune with him. Walk in his way. And he will get you there all the way to the highlands. And uh, I think I'm going to stop here because I don't know how long I've been going. How long have I been going? Is it time to stop? Oh, I have six minutes. So there we see the nature of the good shepherd and his provision for the sheep. He provides rest. He restores life. He gives direction and security. He is the good shepherd. But now we come to the second part of the psalm where many commentators point out that the metaphor changes from a shepherd to a host. Some commentators try to keep it all together, but I think it makes sense, and you can see what you think, to say that the metaphor changes from a shepherd to a host, where the host welcomes us into his household. It's still talking about the Lord, and it's what he is like. There are four things here that the Lord as host does for his guest. First, he protects us from our enemies. Do you see it in verse 5? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, what does that mean? Like, just think about that. He prepares a table for us in the presence of his enemies. Well, one writer says this, according to the Bedouin law of hospitality, once a traveler is received into the host's tent, and especially once his host has spread food before him, he is guaranteed immunity from enemies who may be attempting to overtake him. So we see this in the Bible, in the story of Lot and Sodom. When the two angels took the form of men, you remember? And the citizens of Sodom wanted to do the men harm, and Lot was willing to protect his guests at all costs, even at the cost of his daughters. Genesis 19.8, Lot says, Do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. For they have come under the shelter of my roof. He was the householder. And the Lord protects us from our enemies, even at the cost of his son, Jesus. 
And he was willing to sacrifice Jesus so that we could be safe and have fellowship with him at his table. So the first thing we see about a good host is that he protects us from our enemies. But second, we see that the the Lord provides abundant food. That's what a good host does, provides abundant food. We're welcomed into his house to eat with him, to feast with him. After the sacrifices of the Old Testament, do you remember that the worshiper often would, it wasn't over with the sacrifice in the Old Testament. They would then eat a meal, which was a symbol of fellowship with God. The goal of the sacrifice was actually to feast with God, to have a meal with God. And this is what the the householder does is he feeds his guest. And Christ died for our sins so that we can commune with him Brother Sam preached that this morning. The end of it all. What what is the point of everything? It's that we know him, isn't it? We have a personal relationship with him. We commune with him. We're drawn deeper and deeper into the knowledge of him. And this is eternal life, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, John 17, 3. Right? That's what eating with God symbolizes. That's what eating at the table of this householder is, that we feed upon him, we commune with him, we know him. And so the the Lord provides abundant food because he's a good host. Third, the Lord honors his guests. Verse five says, you anoint my head with oil. Now in these days, it was a custom to honor guests by anointing their heads with oil. You remember what Christ said to the disrespectful Pharisee? You did not anoint my head with oil. That was Luke 7, 46. Anointing with oil was a symbol of honor. Do you know that the Lord Jesus will honor you? You're going to be glorified. He will gird himself up and he will serve you. And you'll shine like the sun. And he will honor you because he is a good householder. And then fourth... Verse 5 says, my cup overflows. A good host makes sure that his guest cup never runs dry. And in Christ's house, we will always have more than enough. He's a generous host. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he gave himself. Then finally, we come to verse 6, which looks to our future in God's house. And it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you remember David who wrote this psalm was chased by many enemies? He was pursued by Saul, the Philistines, and even by his own son, Absalom. Remember? But now David says that surely goodness and mercy will chase him. We might translate this to say, surely goodness and mercy will hunt you down. That's what our God is like. That's what our Lord Jesus is like. He will pursue you with his goodness and mercy. Goodness to supply all of your true needs Mercy to cover all of your sins. His loving kindness, which is his covenant oath and loyalty to you, his people. He will never relent in his pursuit of you. 
One author writes this, usually a guest may partake of traditional Arab hospitality for a maximum of three days. After that, it is good grace on the part of the guest to make an excuse to leave. But when God is our host, we're invited to stay not just for three days, but all the days of our lives. And this last part of the psalm says that we will dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of our life in this world, but surely also there's an implication. All the days of our life eternally with him in heaven. In the new heavens and the new earth, when the heavenly house comes down. And when we know him in the final temple and dwell with him there forever and ever. And so there we see that the Lord is our shepherd. We stop to go through the valleys, but he'll chase us. Even if we get scared or start to doubt and run away, he will hunt us down with his love. He feeds us, protects us, provides for us, communes with us in his own home. We have nothing that we have to fear because the Lord is God. And Jesus has come and he died and he rose from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. Right now he's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, praying for you. And one day he's coming back and he's going to claim us for himself. And every sad thing, as the author says, will come untrue. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and love to us for this Lord's day upon which we might feed upon Christ through his word by the power of your spirit. Lord, help us to keep our eyes set upon him and to honor you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church and is calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.